Welcome to Fintech Impact. This podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world, interviewing different fintech entrepreneurs about what they do, their story, and what their impact is on consumers, incumbents, and the industry as a whole. Here's your host, award-winning financial planner, university lecturer, and writer, Jason Pereira. Hello, and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Rona Bierenbaum. Rona is a well-known fee-only financial planner in Toronto, and most recently started a company called Vivaplan, to which she is the CEO. Vivaplan is the first robo-financial planner that I have seen in this country. And essentially what it does is it utilizes technology to more effectively provide financial planning solutions to clients at a more effective price point. And with that, here's Rona. Hello, Rona. Hi, Jason. Hi. Thanks for coming in today, or thanks for doing this virtually, I mean. So, Rona, you are the CEO of Viviplan, and that is a recently launched fintech company. Would you like to tell me what you guys do? Sure. Viviplan is an online platform delivering high-quality financial plans at an affordable price with no product pushing. It's that simple. Very. There's your elevator pitch. Well done. So, before we dive into the company, let's talk about you, your journey to get here, and what mm-hmm. made you start this company. Yeah, it's been a lengthy journey. And so I come to this company. Well, what I would say is the company evolved out of my experience as a fee-only financial planner for the past 20 plus years. And so I've been in the industry for a very long time, helping lots of people, finding that extremely rewarding and representing a way for Canadians, or at least primarily people in Toronto, to get that comprehensive financial planning advice without having to deal with a product salesperson. So that independence, the comprehensiveness and all of that, that's been my life for the last 25 years. And so what's happening right now is that there's been more demand for our services than we have the capacity to deliver them. And as you know, Jason, it's a very time intensive process when you do planning right. And that makes it expensive and that creates capacity constraints. So the idea around Viviplan is utilizing technology to reduce the time involved in developing that quality financial plan. And the more efficiently it can be delivered, the more affordable it can be priced. So you recently won an award for this, did you not? Yeah, you're right. It was actually, yeah, it was a really exciting experience. We were welcomed into the Ryerson DMZ BMO FinTech Accelerator Program that that was a four-month program last summer that BMO is interested in finding innovative startups that are doing things differently within financial services, things that might be able to help their own organization internally or will move financial services forward overall nationally. And so we were one of six companies that managed to get into this accelerator. And it was a four-month program that culminated in a pitch presentation where there was $100,000 to be one. First prize was 65000 and and second prize was 35000 And to my amazement, we won. <laughs> and you know, I was amazed for a couple of reasons that may or may not be interesting to your listeners. Humility for one, but go on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it, no, it was just really satisfying to, to see that one of Canada's largest financial institutions acknowledge that what we're trying to do is important. And it's also, frankly, the reason I think why Viviplan is and will continue to be successful is simply because Canadians are looking for an alternative way to get advice 
which is not going into a bank or dealing with a product salesperson. So that's really what amazed me about their recognition is that it's you know, we, their we, business model. Yeah, it's it's really in in conflict with not in conflict with, but it's competitive too, and it's a reaction to a lot of Canadians' frustration dealing with the industry in general. But I think they're just perhaps just a little bit more forward thinking than I had anticipated going into the program. Or at least the judges were. <laughs> Fair enough. So take me through what your client experience is start to finish with this product. Sure. I'll describe what it's like now and uh, tell you that it is changing by the day. And it's changing by the day because the best product, service, whatever, is designed to meet really what the users are looking for. So we learn every day what will make the experience even better for the next client. The experience right now is clients go through a very rigorous, I will say, but friendly onboarding process. So the information required to develop a comprehensive, tax-sensitive, goal-driven financial plan is enormous. You know how one of the greatest challenges for financial planners is actually the data and the information collection process. So our onboarding is designed to make it relatively easy for them to provide the information that we need to be guided in terms of where they can get that information. And then also there is a very essential goal-setting component of the onboarding because it really is what people want to get out of life that will dictate what the feedback is. So the online process, clients can start it, they can take a break, they can come back to it. So it's not something that they necessarily have to do all in one shot. And also there's a, a way for them to tell, well, how many questions are still outstanding? How far along am I in the process, etc. So at the same time, they can communicate with myself, with my co-founder, Seon, with questions using email, any way they they want. But once all the, the information is gathered, that's when the planning starts to be built and the plan is built and there's an intermediate Zoom or virtual meeting just to make sure that we're on the right path. And then the report is developed and there's a 30 minute or 45 minute call to review the plan with the client. Ultimately, there will be more technology, investment in technology that will allow us to automate more of the process. That's going to require outside investment for us to get there. Uh, so we're doing a lot by hand, as it were, at the moment. And that's what I mean by the process evolving over time. So you mentioned that uh, you mentioned Zoom, and I know that just looking at the plan that's developed through Navaplan, so you're using pre-existing financial planning software, mm -hmm. supposed to start from scratch. How much of what you're doing on your tech stack is, is custom built versus off the shelf? Right. Right now, the onboarding is all uh, developed in-house and it continues okay. to evolve in-house. And so my co-founder, Seon, he's uh, a coder. He's a, a graduate of the engineering science program at, at U of T. So he's developed the technology and, and continues to iterate on it on a regular basis. And so there are a number of ways that we can automate further. And there's a phase process we may go through. We may use APIs to create a pipeline where the data gets directly input into NaviPlan at this stage. I mean, the ultimate objective would be to to have in-house software. But again, that's a major investment. And uh, we have to prove the concept, improve the business model out before we're willing to make that kind of investment. And so I would say that right now, the in-house software is all on the 
on the onboarding side of things. And, and we're collecting upwards of three to 500 data points. So it's not a small, it was not a small project to develop and it's not a small project to continue to improve. I feel that pain on a regular basis. I can tell you that. <laughs> so thus far, the response has been more than you expected, has it not? It has. It really has. And I'm a conservative person by nature. So I'm always hedging my bets and managing my own expectations. So that's part of the reason perhaps why the uptake initially was a bit of a surprise. But it, what's also really satisfying is that our first clients and our first group of users are from all across Canada, everywhere from Medicine Hat all the way out to the Far East Coast to Northern Ontario. And it's really, really neat to be talking to people from all over the country and hearing what their different issues are. And also discovering that sometimes in, in many of the remote communities across Canada, they don't have the same access to all of the advisors and services that Canadians do in, in local or in major urban centers. And so that highlights for us an area that could be an area of focus for marketing and business development. So speaking of marketing, how are these people finding you? Up until now, they have found us through generally uh, PR. I mean, we've got some great coverage in the Globe and in Money Sense. This is probably the third podcast I've done. So it's getting out that way. Also, we get a, a steady stream here at my firm, Caring for Clients. We get a steady stream of inquiries that we can't necessarily take on. We just have capacity constraints here. And so where there is somebody that reaches out to us, and they are a good fit for Viviplan. In other words, they have fairly simple affairs. Then we'll recommend that they utilize that service instead. It's going to cost them less and it's going to get them what they're looking for. Because Viviplan is not designed right now to deal with more complex planning. Corporate structures, trust structures, cross-border planning, multiple real estate investment portfolios. Those kinds of things are still best handled by you know, someone like yourself or myself on the full service side. But there's a lot of Canadians out there that really don't need that level of advice and complexity, and they don't need to pay that high fee. And so Viviplan is the, is the obvious place for them to go. And so there's been a steady stream of referrals from us to them, to be quite honest. And, and it's quite possible that that will be something that other planners would, would find useful as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because um, I'm sure you've experienced in your practice, you have someone coming to you with, you know, they're T4 employees, yeah. they have a very simple life, They their only real goal is pay their mortgage and retire. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot for us to do for them, quite mm -hmm. frankly. <laughs> you know, there's there's some basic fundamental coaching and, and things we can, we can line them up with. But in terms of being able to charge what we normally charge mm -hmm. for, it's just not justifiable in many cases. No, it's not. And yet... It's for years, it's bothered me up until now. I have not really had a great alternative to recommend to those people. And I never like saying, I can't help you right now and not have a place to send those people where I know they'll get the service and the advice that they need. So for me, it's almost self-serving that I can feel good, that I can refer them to a platform that I know is going to get them what they need at a price that makes sense. No, I mean, I'm very much the same way. I mean, if I can't help them, I at least want to point them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So you're sitting on a waiting list now. Yeah. Your success has been a little bit run, run away. It has. It has. So what we're doing right now to deal with that, that bottleneck is we're in the process of 
hiring another full-time planner to join our ranks so that I can focus because I'm actually doing some hands-on planning. That's what I do evenings and weekends when I'm not running caring for clients. We have a a great planner out in Calgary that's been building on a part-time basis. So we're ready to take on another full-time planner and we have an offer out there in the market that we're, we're waiting to hear back on. So increasing capacity on the resource side is going to allow us to blow through and that waiting list. And then obviously, the more we invest in our technology, the more clients we're going to be able to take on. But the key is, is not to take on a customer and take their money unless we know we can deliver quality work. So we would rather, and that's always been my philosophy in my traditional practice as well. I'm not interested in growth for growth's sake. It's really just growing at a managed pace. But the challenge for any startup is that ultimately there's a need for outside investors and outside investors are looking for sales velocity. They're not as concerned about some of the other things that maybe we're concerned about. So they're looking for sales velocity and market acceptance and user engagement and all those kinds of things. And you can only provide that kind of data and proof and evidence of of your trajectory by serving more and more people all the time. So it's an interesting challenge for us. And I'm sure it's not a, a unique experience or position that we're in, in trying to manage the growth and be a quality and known to be a quality company, while at the same time yeah. doing what we need to do to generate outside investor interest. I get that. You know, VCs put you on a treadmill. So if you, if you uh, don't want to be running at that speed, you can't get on the treadmill, quite frankly. So you're interesting. Interesting enough, you're on a couple trends here. I mean, so first of all, I find when talking to people who take financial planning seriously as financial planners, that is not, not just investment advisors, they yearn for alternatives to the current structure, to, you know, the sales based culture. I would have to think that how much interest did you get in that position? Because I would have to think you're on trend there for a lot of people. I see. That is such a great question, Jason. So, and I've been hiring and growing, caring for clients for the last three years. So we've doubled our team in the last, say, three, four years here at Caring for Clients. And then, of course, now we're hiring for Vivi Plan. And we are one of the few opportunities for a financial planning professional that wants a career in financial planning. Not They don't want to sell products. They want to do planning as a career, like a profession. There are very few opportunities. And one of the first questions I ask when I meet and interview someone is, so tell me about your job search. What have you found in the marketplace? And what's that experience been like? And the feedback has universally been, there's no opportunities like this out there. It really, in order to do planning, you've got to sell. And so I think it's actually catching a lot of young people that are are now graduating from the ever-growing number of financial planning programs, diploma certification programs, etc. They're graduating from these programs and they're discovering that the majority of jobs that are out there are sales jobs. And so I think it's it's a little bit of, it's a timing issue, which is to say there's more demand for financial planning now from consumers, a more understanding of the value of it. But I actually think there's more people graduating from programs and that then there is sufficient demand for fee-only financial planning. And I really hope that the various schools are preparing their graduates for the industry realities. And I guess what's a little unnerving for me, if I was the parent of a child who wanted to make financial planning a career, knowing what I know about the industry and what I'm doing and what I'm building at Vivi Plan, 
is really there's this where we are is we're at a point where consumers are understanding the value of it, but technology is creating a way to deliver it efficiently with less human labor and at a lower cost. So the industry opportunity on the pure planning side, in my mind, then becomes it becomes quite questionable from from a career standpoint if you don't want to be involved in product sales. So this is just two trends coming together and creating, I guess, a, a a human resource challenge. So I think about that a lot. I agree with you in large part, but at the same time, I think I look at other countries and see how further ahead, especially like the US and other places are. And you know, I believe that they're all seeing that problem or seeing that concern. And, and frankly, in terms of generation of the plan, I agree. I think that that's going to be a largely automated and eventually once AI gets thrown mm-hmm. at it, largely done with a push of a button, quite frankly. The bigger part of it's going to be the implementation and behavioral coaching on, mm-hmm. on an ongoing basis mm-hmm. that I think that advisors are going to play a much larger role in. So the product sales will always exist. Mm-hmm. But frankly, I think taking the plan and making it happen is the most difficult part of any planning process. And I think this could be the one that's going to be very sticky for human bodies. Yeah, I agree with that. Totally. I think it's just a numbers thing. So if you've got fewer people having to crunch the numbers, it's just fewer, the need for fewer people to do that, the relationship management, the behavioral coaching. So it's, there's no question, technology, in my view, will not replace the need for people in financial planning, because I, I agree with you completely. Crunching numbers is not where the value add is. It's in helping people see options differently than they did. It's helping couples communicate differently about money and come to compromises. It's about getting people back on the wagon when they fell off the the cash flow management wagon. It's about keeping people invested during times of volatility. All of those things are actually what help someone build wealth over time. However, there's a lot of human labor that's currently spent crunching numbers. So it's important for the education programs to increase how much time and content they spend on helping their students learn about the, the human aspects of financial planning, the things that only humans can do, which are the, the things we just talked about right now. That's where a lot of the skills development needs to be. I think a lot of it's also going to be simply in the audit function. I mean, if the technology spits out something that says, hey, X, Y, Z, well, being able to dissect why that is or why that doesn't fit with the client because of their behavioral aspects, yes. that's, that's also hugely important. So once you've delivered this plan, in terms of implementation, like is that left to the client or do you refer out? Like how is that handled? It's left to the client. So if there is a product decision that they need to make, whether they need to buy insurance, for example, then it's up to them to implement. We don't have in-house implementation. We want to keep product and advice separate. So we'll encourage them to take the information to their existing advisors should they have them. We're in the process of One of the things that's in our business plan going forward is developing a national resource of vetted professionals in a range of fields, whether that be insurance, legal for people because they're going to need to get their wills and powers of attorney done, whether it's real estate agents, mortgage brokers, etc. So we want to build out a platform of trusted professionals, vetted professionals that are our clients can then go to and feel confident that they're going to get the service they need to implement what, what we've recommended. So that's the concept there. And that's where we're thinking we'll, we'll be at this point. The other thing that we're, we're going to be launching is, is a monthly uh, membership. So to the point of accountability, a plan is only as good as the person who implements it. I tell everybody. 
Yeah, it's, it's otherwise it's just a piece, it's just a binder that sits on someone's desks and, and makes them feel like they were responsible. But then, you know, six well, months later. Kind. Yeah. I refer to it as toilet paper because if you don't implement it, it's good for nothing but toilet paper. Got it. Okay. Well, I'll let you use that one. <laughs> the visual there is I'm struggling with that, but you're 100% on the concept. So the idea is that for somebody to then commit to a partnership where we are accountable to them and they are accountable to us to both implement and to continue educating, motivating, that is something that is going to be a, a real core element to our, our program. And uh, it, it makes it a more viable business entity longer term. And then I think it's really the only way to actually have the kind of societal impact that we want to have. People have to implement the advice or at least 80% of the advice for them to see the benefits of, of the work that we do. Yeah, it's interesting. You actually took away one of my questions. I was going to ask if you were looking at a retainer-based model for ongoing planning services, mm -hmm. and clearly the answer is yes. It's something that's still very much in its infancy in Canada. I've incur you know, I know one or two people doing it, and frankly, I think it's the way of the future. And it's actually one of the fastest growing segments in the U.S. market right now. It just makes a lot of sense. I'd love to see some data on that, Jason, if uh, you could share it with me off, offline. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. We can, yeah. we can connect. And I can yeah. direct you some resources. So in terms of uh, the plan offering, so you have three different options. Uh, you mm -hmm. want to take me through what the client gets at each of those three? Sure. The, what the client gets is the process is very similar for all three. And the difference in terms of what they get is the comprehensive plan they're going to get feedback, education, information, and direction on all aspects, even aspects of their, their life that maybe they don't think is really, really crucial or important. So a comprehensive plan is going to encompass everything from tax planning to estate planning and cash flow, retirement, all of those components. So we, we don't leave a stone unturned in that comprehensive plan. The two, what I call lighter versions of the plan, really are there to address or help somebody that has just one or two burning questions that can be adequately answered without a full analysis. And I'm not a fan of those options, but I think it's better than nothing for some people. What's interesting is that nobody has chosen either of those lesser expensive options. Everybody has selected the full plan. And it could be because there isn't a huge difference in price between the lower cost and, and the full plan versions. It could be because the only way you're going to actually get an in-person human dialogue with a planner is, is through the full service or the premier option. And I'm glad to see that that's what people are choosing because that human element, as we just discussed, is the key to actually plan relevance and implementation. Any thought towards what you would charge for the ongoing fee at this time, or is that just a trade secret? That's still in development. No, that's still in development. And what we're doing is we're actually asking our first set of clients what they would pay and what they would want from us. So rather than us decide what we think a retainer model should include in terms of services and access and what it should cost, we have our own ideas. But the best thing, I think, is just to ask the people that have already decided to do business with you and that have already experienced the plan and then see the value of some kind of longer-term relationship. So stay tuned. Fair enough. Uh, and we may talk in the future again. So uh, client feedback, what's the feedback been to date? Well, the feedback's been it, it really, really fantastic. And what I'll, what I'll say is that our first set of users have been very enthusiastic and extremely 
partnership focus. So they understand this is new and, and so they understand that the process is likely not as smooth as it's going to ultimately be. And they also are appreciative of the fact that they're getting a whole lot more hands-on interaction with, with the planning professional than maybe a Vivid Plan client of 2020 will get. But at the end of the process, there is a thorough survey that we provide and we ask them a, a lot of very important questions. And ultimately, to sum up and to answer your question quite simply, one of the most important questions we ask is, was this good value for money on a scale of one to 10? And we're getting nines and tens. Fantastic. And would you recommend Fantastic. this good. heartily I mean, just, you know, to someone else? Yeah. And we're getting nines and tens. Excellent. I mean, well, <laughs> based on the name of your initial firm, Caring for Clients, and mm-hmm. the level of care you've shown in this podcast, not surprising <laughs> that you know, you're getting those kinds of results. And it's always great to test people out, test stuff out on people who are willing to do a beta test. <laughs> so it's usually a little bit easier to get things done with uh, people who are uh, knowing it's a beta test because they yes. are more likely to accept that uh, it's not quite as smooth as it will be. So question for you. We talked, we discussed a number of, you know, the onboarding technology that you're, you're, you're building and whatnot. Is there any thought towards marketing that in itself or is that just going to stay a uh, in-house secret? Well, you know, I think that our industry as a whole really needs a solution like this. And actually we've, A number of advisors from across Canada, primarily from independent firms, have reached out to us and said, is there any way we can find a way to offer this through whether you white label it or whether we have some kind of referral arrangement or because what we're hearing from those advisors is that they know planning and offering planning is essential for them to maintain the, the client relationship and to, to add value to the client relationship. But they also recognize how time consuming it is. And they're looking for a way to find efficiencies within their own business. So we're well aware of the need on the business to business side of it. And I think that's going to be an element to some degree of, of how the platform develops over time. It's just too soon to say we're in the process of talking to more people in the industry about that and how it might work well for them before we design something that that moves us in both directions, to, you know, business to consumer as well as business to business. It's interesting. There's definitely a hole in the Canadian market for that. There mm-hmm. is a U.S. based provider called Precise FP. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, mm-hmm. but they offer onboarding software. But again, it is it is American, so therefore. Mm-hmm only focused on America. (laughs) Therefore, basically, we have to customize around that if we're going to use something like that in Canada. So yeah, that's an interesting thought. So what do you feel are your biggest challenges right now in terms of moving the company forward? Well, the biggest challenge is money. It's very simple. So, you know, I'm financing the company personally. And, you know, there's a certain level of investment that makes sense for me. But, you know, in order for the technology to move to the next level. We need outside investment. So I think that's the biggest challenge because the market wants this, the market needs it. What we will deliver will will have huge value. So I have no concerns about the business premise, the business model, the business value. It really is generating and finding the right right investor partners. And so I'm not I'm not in a hurry. I don't want just money. I want a partner that's a good fit and that is aligned on the vision. And that's really it. And I'm learning all about right now the whole, I guess, fundraising sphere and trying to figure out who we'd, we would want to partner with and then find out from them, all right, so what would it take? What are you looking for before you're confident in investing and trying to deliver those attributes? 
I mean, given that you have proof of concept now around market, I mean, I would think that mm-hmm. once you implement a ongoing retainer basis and you can mm-hmm. actually start to calculate lifetime value of clients, that's it's going right. to make it an easier conversation. Yeah, it sure will. It sure will. And that's why our focus right now is on fine tuning and, and developing that, that retainer model and getting that going and out in the marketplace sooner rather than later. And then also having conversations with industry as well, just to see what down the road might be possible. And there is a lot of money chasing fintech right now. And so there is... starting a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there, there is interest. Yeah. So I guess the timing is good for us, both in terms of that there's a lot of investor interest and there is consumer interest in what we're doing. So, you know, the stars are really aligning. And I've got a a great partner and we both have a similar perspective in terms of why we're doing it. I mean, the why is really, really important. It's really important because for this business to make sense and for Canadians to really believe in in what we're doing is the purpose has to be the purity of the purpose is, is essential. And so there aren't too many new companies being started up that have that kind of, you know, I'll tell you right now that the judge, one of the judges at BMO, when I asked her, so why did you pick Viviplant? Her response was, it was the noble cause. It is a noble cause, right? It is. I mean, I think yeah. the democratization or the freedom of the creating access to unbiased advice at, we'll call it, you know, lower net worths on the spectrum is something that's been a challenge, right? Because they're only, they've only been able to get that from people who are pushing product. And not to say that people who are pushing product can't do a good job, but we know that the incentive system mm-hmm. is backwards yeah. when you look at that, right? Yeah. So. In terms of being the noble, first of all, I think of financial planning in general as a very noble profession yes. in itself. Yes. Um, and the ability to bring that down to the most to everybody is definitely a noble cause. I agree with the assessment. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Oh, my pleasure. So um, in terms of the product roadmap, anything else you want to share about what you're working on or excited about working on? It's a good question. I'm really excited about building out this national network of trustworthy professionals and creating, I mean, you're familiar, Jason, with the Money Sense Approved model. Yep, and so my my vision is a similar platform, but where it would be, you know, Viviplan approved. So you're looking mm-hmm. for an estate lawyer in King Carden who you can, who's got a quality reputation and who provides good value for money. Viviplan will have the resource for you and will make an independent referral. And if we could build that kind of resource and then you've got reviews and you've got star ratings and, and whatnot, a national database of those kinds of resources, then again, that is again putting more power into the consumer's hands to find solutions. And so I'm excited about that because that's a huge time saver for one, for Canadians. Okay. It increases the likelihood that they're going to implement a plan recommendation. And so to find and to reward in a way those top-notch professionals from across Canada, that's an exciting prospect. Agreed. I mean, essentially what you're talking about is a dating site for clients and, and uh, professionals yeah. without you know without having to swipe, swipe right, right or left these days, which is kind of fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> Speak for yourself, so Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, but, uh, no, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I think you're right. I think we often look at people on our list of who we, even ourselves, we maintain our own internal list of uh, professionals we deal with. And I find myself with gaps every now and then or people retiring every now and then. So yeah. like I said, you know, implementation is the most important part of the financial plan because otherwise I will use the term again. It is toilet paper. <laughs> 
So that's great. So uh, any last thoughts to share before we wrap up? This has been a great, great interview altogether. Thank you. Well, I just want to thank you for doing what you're doing, Jason. And I love the kind of the, the leadership role you've taken on and spreading the word about what's happening in our industry. And I think that your motives are, are fantastic and people are going to learn a lot. And your questions were great. And the opportunity was was extremely appreciated. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, this was a pleasure, as I said, and uh, thank you very much for your time. Till next time. So that was my interview with Rona Bierenbaum. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you yet again for tuning into FinTech Impact. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And with that, I'm Jason Pereira. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.